0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fertility FM brought to you by CCRM Fertility. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so happy to have you both here today to talk about this specific topic of chromosomal abnormalities within infertility, and I know each of you have different experiences within infertility, both personal and, and obviously professional. But first, before getting like too heavy and into things, let's just take a second to introduce yourselves and maybe just share how your experience with infertility has been and your expertise on it.
0: Okay. Well, I'm Chriselle Lim. Super happy to be here with both of you, old friend Whitney, new friends. Most of you guys might know me as being a OG content creator. I'm also the founder of Fleur and Boomo, And I've had a number of stories, uh, mainly miscarriages. Mm-hmm. I've had multiple miscarriages. I think mm-hmm. I've had a total of three. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I commonly just Openly talk about because I know a lot of women go through that, mm-hmm. and I have within my family my sister who also struggled with infertility that did IVF. So yeah, I'm super passionate about this topic. Yeah. Well, hi. Thank you so much for being, you know having me here today. Yeah, it's part. awesome.
2: So. My name is Dr. Mandy Katzjaff. I'm the scientific and genetics director at CSERM Fertility. I'm an Aussie, born, bred, and educated, and very proudly a reproductive geneticist. And I have worked in the field for a couple of decades now. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Amazing. Well, we've talked a lot about different areas of infertility and in that it's been so therapeutic for me because I've been able to also share my story within that. And I'm like live going through something at the moment. It's just so interesting because then to be able to talk to an expert when I'm dealing with something at the moment, like I have just so many questions, but everybody knows here that we have, I've experienced like Infertility, not to the max by any degree, but it's hard for me to even talk about, but five miscarriages and decided to go the route of surrogacy at the end of last year after just like mentally and physically breaking down and, and realizing that it was just best for my family not to carry the baby myself. So... We luckily found an amazing surrogate very quick. That process was amazing. and I feel very privileged to have done that. But long story short, we have done two transfers with our surrogate, and she's miscarried both times. She just miscarried it eight weeks two weeks ago. And it's such a hard thing because we have five embryos, and, they're all graded and tested, genetically tested, and we've been given the sex of them. And two of them were boys and two of them were girls, and one actually not tested because it wasn't weak enough. And so we put the girl in, both of the girls in first because we already have a boy and I really wanted a, a girl. I wanted to try. And both those girls didn't work, but they were graded lower grades than the other two boys that we have. The two boys got to where they needed to be quicker than the two Mm. girls. So there's now all this thought in my head of like, should I not have known the grading? Should I just have put the strongest one in, which is what my husband wanted to know The chromosomal abnormalities that can happen, even though they are genetically tested, just because it's genetically tested doesn't mean it's still like a completely viable embryo. So, so many questions, but just to give you a little bit of context of like where I'm at in the process right now. So it will like, it can guide our conversation, but totally open to talk about it because I know that the more that we talk about this, the more people can feel comfortable living in their own version of what their normal is, you know, and know that places like CCRM are are here for them. So first question
0: for for you. Yeah, thank you. Sorry to like just spray all that on you. I mean I think it's before we go into the first question. I, I think that it's people like you who really make people feel less alone because I don't think when you're going through that, you realize how common it is. Mm-hmm. And that was my case. I was one of the first creators to be pregnant about 12 years ago. And so no one around me really, I didn't have any information of mm-hmm. like people having any miscarriage so I thought I was there's something wrong with me or Mm -hmm. I did something wrong to my body and so I punished myself for a very long time Mm -hmm. and so I think it is people like you speaking up about these hard times to really like normalize it Mm -hmm. and the person that's going through it feel like there's nothing wrong with them, right? Like, there's nothing that we did wrong. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that we have control over, and that's one of the hardest parts of this whole thing is the lack of yeah. control. Yeah, I that remember we have. just being so stuck on one thing. Uh-huh. I ran a full marathon, like, without knowing I was pregnant, mm. and I just kept blaming that. Mm. But then, uh, of course, it happened two times again later with different pregnancies Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, it obviously wasn't linked to just that. So I think we do that to ourselves or we like think about what we did or what we could have done. But yeah, I'm so glad to, to have you here to kind of talk about more of the scientific and the the reason behind everything, because it's hard.
1: Yeah, because do most miscarriages result from chromosomal abnormalities? Yeah, about 70%. Uh In some publications, a
2: little less, some a little more, but absolutely. And this is spontaneous pregnancies, right, that
1: result in loss. About 70% are chromosome abnormalities. Right. And then the eggs are... Like the, the embryos are less chromosomally viable the older the woman gets, correct?
2: Yeah. So unfortunately, we're born with all our eggs. Yeah. And that's all we get in our ovaries and mm-hmm. they're tiny little eggs. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we go through puberty and menstrual cycle and these little eggs then start, they develop and mature. And that happens right throughout our lifetime up until menopause mm-hmm. when we don't have many more eggs left. Mm-hmm. But those eggs that were born, they age with us. Or they age with our ovaries. Right. And so that's what is the driver of these chromosome abnormalities, mm-hmm. which is losses and gains of chromosomes. They're old eggs. Right? So
0: the saying of the old age thing of like, it gets harder when you're older yes. to, is true. Then. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely yeah. it is.
2: But don't don't get it wrong, right? Actually, younger women also have eggs with the chromosome abnormalities. Mm. They just have less of them, right? Mm. So therefore, you're less likely to see them obviously present in a clinical pregnancy because there were less to start with. right? And so as we age, we lose eggs, and then the ones that are left are older and poorer quality, and so therefore there's more of them that are poorer quality and have chromosome abnormalities, mm-hmm. and therefore that leads to that increase in the chance of having... A, a pregnancy mis- yeah. with a chromosomally abnormal egg right. and therefore a loss right
1: yeah. did you when you miscarried did you have to get a dnc after or did you just like bleed it out or was there any
0: option for to do an autopsy on the the embryo yeah so the first miscarriage i had two miscarriages before i had my first daughter chloe mm-hmm. the first one it was early on, so I was able to just—it just, just kind of passed, mm-hmm. right? The second one, I did have to get the autopsy mm-hmm. and all that because it was mm-hmm. a little later on. Mm-hmm. But And then the third one, which happened before Collette, it's almost like a pattern. It's almost like you have to go through a certain amount of miscarriage, <laughs> at least for me, oh. before becoming pregnant, like fully pregnant mm-hmm. again. It was like your body was doing
1: something to, like, clean itself out or something. But is that it's, the
0: process? I, because, no, it's
1: not. Well, but, no. but <laughs> I mean,
2: I'm so sorry that yeah. you, yeah. you know, went through, both of you. And you're both incredible that you're talking about it going back to, you know, being able to normalize it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, Instead mm-hmm. of women actually suffering in silence. Yeah. So sorry that you've both experienced multiple miscarriages. Not everyone does, right. obviously. Yeah. but. yeah but normalizing it for the women that do is so incredibly important. And Mm -hmm. we're an aging reproductive society.
1: Totally. That's so one thing I've learned. Yeah, right. are all getting pregnant so much later or yes. wanting to get pregnant so much later or trying, of course. And yeah. the increase, that mm-hmm.
2: results in an increase in the potential to miscarry. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're going to see it more and more. And we are, we know that with our Aging Reproductive yeah. Society. But when you had the DNC, was it actually, did it get sent off for genetic testing? Yeah,
0: yeah, it did. And I don't know if it's linked, but is it also linked with family genetics by any chance? So a smaller proportion can, Uh but that's
2: that's more rare than just having a chromosome abnormality that's a a chromosome that's either lost or in addition... And in a pregnancy loss, we typically yeah. would see an extra chromosome being present. Got it.
0: Because my sister also, she she's giving birth next month, but okay. she went through the IVF process and right. she also went through the same process as I so I was like, wait, is this genetics? Like, does it have to do anything with kind of our, I don't know, our makeup? I would doubt it, based on the the very brief history that you just told me. But,
2: you know, it's more likely that it's driven by eggs that are, like I said, chromosomally abnormal. And Mm
0: -hmm. do you feel like the IVF is also, because I, like the upstream of my friends, my family members that are having to go through IVF, same thing with Whitney, whereas, you know, just... I feel like a decade ago, no one was really talking about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and absolutely. so is it just because we're hearing more about it, or is it truly because like people are not able to get pregnant anymore? Because I I just feel like within the decade, this whole IBF boom has really happened. That's mm. such a great question. Yeah. And I will tell you, it it's really it's not that it's
2: changed. Mm-hmm. Right. They about one in six couples is typically found to be to require medical intervention of mm-hmm. some kind in order to create family mm-hmm. that hasn't changed okay it's really about finally coming out of the closet mm-hmm. it's uh-huh. finally normalizing it finally being able to talk about mm-hmm. miscarriages and and struggling to create your family that you've always wanted and social media has been that's the positive right yeah right you know right. That is the huge positive of social media. Well, we're even sitting
1: here talking, talking about, about this. Talking about this, yeah. Exactly. And that science has evolved too. Yes. And that things have become probably right more accessible and easily accessible and rampant to do than it once was. Like, I think that
2: IVF, you know, certainly in the last decade and genetic testing in IVF has definitely improved enormously. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's more of... Being able to normalize the conversation and mm. talk about it—that's yeah. really, that you're hearing. hearing it. About it, it was always there. It's just like—and I will tell you, like, like I said, I've had the pleasure of working in this field for a couple of decades now. And most of our patients, if you know, I would say back then, would their parents didn't even know they were going through IVF, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, that's why you didn't hear about it because right. they weren't even sharing that with the closest members of right. their family. Right. And now, you know. It's a podcast. <laughs>
1: yes. Well, you now know, we're in our is. mid to late thirties, where yeah. all of our friends in our circle are in that spot yeah. where they're either wanting to and it's hard, or they're just starting to try, or yeah, it's we're at that sweet spot of like, is it going to happen or not? You know, because. Yeah soon it won't be able to anymore. Yeah. But what would you say like are some of the most common chromosomal abnormalities and genetic mutations?
2: So the most common chromosome abnormalities that we see is what we call aneuploidy, which is the loss or gain of a chromosome. Okay. So in every, every healthy cell in our bodies, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes. 23 originally came from the egg and 23 that came from the sperm together, making the 23 pairs or 46. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, with these aging eggs, we do see that there can be a loss or a gain of a chromosome in an egg. Okay. And mm-hmm. this is unfortunately very much directed towards the egg. Right, towards now, the, the sperm, sperm has other right. issues, right. <laughs> which right. is a whole different like speed conversation. And- Well, in in regards to genetic abnormalities, but specifically the egg and what we typically see in embryos is this loss or gain of chromosomes. Now, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a whole chromosome, then you're missing all of those genes that are going to be vital for not just embryo development and fetal development, but mm-hmm. just to, to obviously normal function in an adult human, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we need all of them, and they have to be that like that in a, in pairs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's what we see as the most common abnormality as women age is these eggs have losses or gains of chromosomes. Gains.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so what measures can be taken to help avoid these or screen these? Like, obviously, we know egg freezing is something to do so that you can have, like, healthy eggs Mm -hmm. when you go into to make your embryos, but what else can be done if you don't even have that?
2: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we can't screen for them, and we don't really need to because we know – we don't need to until the embryo, okay. Basically. Mm-hmm. okay. So, you know, the best thing that we can do as young women is be proactive and have what we call a fertility assessment, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to talk – it's not going to actually target and screen or test an egg because we can't do that, right? right? Not Until you actually get it extracted. Correct, yeah. yeah. But at least it gives young women that information, mm-hmm. I believe – information is powerful, knowledge is powerful. Mm -hmm. And so they can get, at that point of time, a readout on what we call their ovarian reserve. Okay, And really, you know, even if those young women aren't ready to have a family, just Uh to know what your baseline ovarian reserve is so that when it comes time that you do want to have a family, then you have a much better idea of, are your ovaries aging faster right. than they should? You know, what is actually happening? Right. So that's the best thing that young women can do for uh, themselves.
0: What would you, you recommend? No, that's
2: such a great question. We actually did a polling of young women in college. Mm-hmm. So they were in their early 20s and they really weren't receptive. And I totally understand. They're at a different place yeah. in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I think that's too young. And I think, you know, mid to late 20s. And like yeah. I said, it's a baseline, right? Right. It's a baseline for them to have the knowledge of what their ovarian reserve looks like as they head into the rest of their adult reproductive years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't determine anything and it doesn't make them have to make decisions or anything like that. It's just knowledge and information for it's them to more, go forward. right? So
1: it's like a quantity of eggs, right, yes. that you're counting. So yeah. We, yeah
2: we, we have There's an ultrasound of the ovaries in mm-hmm. order for us to, to count. Mm -hmm. what we call the follicles, where the eggs are inside the follicle, also a blood draw to look at reproductive hormones. And like I said, it's a great place for young women to start. And from there, they have that knowledge and that information and they can go forward and make decisions, you know, once they obviously
1: at the point where they want to have a family, right? Totally. Totally. So then obviously we know Pre-implantation or genetic testing before pre-implantation is important because you're getting all the information that you need to make sure that the emb- that the embryo is chromosomally normal mm-hmm. for the transfer. But what are you actually looking for, and and how does it benefit the patient to know? Because I know, like I was saying, Timmy. He wanted to know maybe which embryo was the strongest, but he didn't really feel the need to know like the grades or who was the second strongest mm. or he just wanted the He felt like he wanted to put the strongest one in and didn't want to think about all the rest to, to like step in more than we already had. Like mm. tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. yeah. You know
2: what's so incredibly fascinating is that every patient and every couple that comes to us, sees their journey differently Mm -hmm. and sees reproductive choices differently. And that's a perfect case. You know, so many of our patients are like, I want to know everything. Right, everything. You need to tell me everything. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm so not that
0: person, <laughs> and that's okay. You know, yeah. that's okay. You're and like then I just we... want the baby. That's all I need to <laughs> <Yeah>. know.
2: <laughs> and then there are others, like like you just said, it was just like we trust you. You do. You make the best choices, yeah. and we've come to you, and we we put our care in your hands, and and we're happy with our care, and yeah. we want a healthy baby at yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. So, and you get everything in between, right? Basically, right. And so. Certainly what we love to do is have that conversation of what is family to you, what do you want to achieve from Mm -hmm. your infertility journey, and what can we do with you to to get there? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. That there's yeah. not one kind of like set that's for every patient that comes through the door, right? Right, yeah. right.
1: So the genetic testing. Yes. So, so in the, answer to the yes. genetic
2: testing piece. So that's where we're counting the chromosomes. Right. So okay. we, we actually are able to biopsy or remove a couple of cells from the pre-implantation embryo. Mm-hmm. And the pre-implantation embryo will have probably around about 100, 120 cells. Mm-hmm. So we we biopsy and remove Anywhere between three to six. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't exactly count. We just take a very small amount. Okay. And from that, because every cell has those twenty-three pa- should have should those, have those, those right. twenty-three uh-huh. pairs of chromosomes, uh-huh. we're able to then count the chromosomes, and we okay. do that using a technique called DNA sequencing. Okay. And we count the chromosomes, and so that way we're able to identify. Losses and gains, uh-huh. and why is that important? Because the only way to have healthy fetal development is to have twenty-three pairs of chromosomes.
1: Right, but mm-hmm. if you're only taking that small portion mm-hmm. of the embryo and testing that small portion, I'm assuming that small portion isn't representation of the whole embryo. So, it doesn't- so ninety-eight percent of the time, it is okay.
2: You are absolutely correct. Okay. There is what we call mosaicism, where uh-huh. the some cells can be chromosomally normal and some cells can be chromosomally abnormal. Right. And we see that certainly at CCRM, well, 2.7% of the time. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. So in clinical pregnancy, mm-hmm. we see that between one to two percent of the time. So if you look at um, prenatal testing, so amniocentesis, which occurs um, yeah. in pregnancy, Yeah, mosaicism will be about 1% of the pregnancies mm-hmm.
1: of the, okay. the, the, that are tested at uh, the chorionic okay.
2: villus sampling, which is also a prenatal test that happens yeah. a little bit earlier. So the late end of the first trimester, they see even up sometimes some publications have actually reported. One to 2%. Okay. So, this is a phenomenon that we see in human reproduction, but it only, it, sh- it really biologically only represents uh, that, as I said to you, on the prenatal side, so amniocentesis mm-hmm. 1%, the chorionic villus and a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in pregnancy, so we see a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And then pre implantation, because we're seeing it right at the beginning mm-hmm. of life, mm-hmm. we see that 2.7% at right. CRM. Okay. So, and then the rest of the embryos go into what you say are uniform. Right. So, what the samples, the cells that you test, are exactly the same as the rest of the embryo.
0: Mm-hmm. It's crazy to hear this breakdown because you just think getting pregnant is so easy. I You're just know. Like, let's have sex, I and know. we're gonna get pregnant. And,
1: <laughs> and you spend so much of your life like trying Try not, not to, to get, get pregnant. pregnant. <laughs> <And> then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: one of the things that always astonishes me is that reproduction is taken for granted,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it is it completely. Is. It's
2: you so true. can you can talk to young girls and ask them what their lifetime ambitions are, and not all of them, but a lot of them will say that they want to have a family. Yeah, they don't actually say, "I hope I can have a family," mm-hmm. or maybe you know, "I will be lucky enough to have a family." Yeah, right? They actually say. I we will all have, believe that yeah. we will. I will have a family that we just have the choice. Exactly. Yeah. And then like you said, we spend so many years in our young adult life working with contraception. Right. right. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And so there's this take it for granted it's just going to happen. It's yeah. so true. So would you find that most people, most couples then choose to put the strongest Oh wait, well I guess we didn't even get into the grading situation. Yeah. So then there's can you actually sorry back up a little bit. Walk me through what the genetic testing actually looks like, like the process of it and how long it takes and Sure. Yeah. So we biopsy remove those few cells from the embryo. Mm-hmm. We do
2: that from what's called a blastocyst, which is an embryo that's at day five to day seven of development. Day zero is actually defined as the day that we collect the eggs and sperm. Okay. Mm. And so we are able to grow them in culture in the laboratory. And then on day five, we, or day six or day seven, and that goes back to grading. So I'll come back right. around to that. Okay. And so what we do is we're able to biopsy, we take those three to six cells, like I said. And those cells are actually what we call trophectoderm cells, which actually will be the cells that become the placenta. So they're mm. not the cells that become the fetus. And we're very, very, you know, targeted in Making sure that we only sample cells that will become the placental Why? cells okay. because we don't want to um, prevent the fetus from being formed. Oh, I see. Yeah. So the pre-fetal cells, which are called the inner cell mass, are inside the embryo. Mm -hmm. And so we can see that under the microscope. So we want to make sure that those are left alone so Mm -hmm. that we can obviously maximize the potential of this embryo to establish a pregnancy Mm -hmm. and obviously a viable fetus. And we only want to take the outside cells that will become the future placenta.
0: Mm, so, which has the that's same DNA so as
2: the fetus. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I know. Most yeah. people don't realize that the placenta actually belongs to the embryo. Yeah. yeah like I didn't new even think about the placenta having DNA mm-hmm. or, yeah, yeah, any of that. Or like what, when I was thinking about the embryologist like taking cells from the embryo, I was like, no, don't do that. Like <laughs> yeah. the placenta makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. wasted. <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah, so So then we take those cells and we then put them into a very tiny little tube and they go off into the molecular laboratory and we perform DNA sequencing. Mm -hmm. And then with bioinformatics, we're able to then count those DNA sequences to then determine how many chromosomes we have, right? So we want 23 pairs. Right. Okay. And if we see a missing one or an extra one, then we know the the embryo is abnormal. Okay. Chrome is only
1: abnormal. All right. Yeah. And so if they get to a certain phase by a certain day, then that means that they're like technically stronger, right? Yeah. So Explain going back process. to the Yes. Yeah. So
2: it's incredible. But even right from the point of fertilization, which is what day one. So we collect the eggs and sperm on day zero mm-hmm. and we do the fertilization on day zero. And then we'll come in to the lab on day one to check for fertilization, mm-hmm. and make sure that obviously the sperm has, has normally fertilized the egg. Yeah. From that, literally from 24 hours after that, every embryo is different. Every embryo is unique. It's unique in the way it divides, how quickly it divides, how slowly it divides, as in cell division. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we actually get to day five, you can look at a cohort of embryos and they're all different. They mm-hmm. all look different. It's amazing. So, that's we so are crazy. so unique mm-hmm. right from the start of yeah, life, which so is crazy. amazing. Yeah. And so, what we do see is we see faster developing embryos, we see slower developing embryos. Mm-hmm. And that's where that piece, of, one piece of the grading comes in. Okay. And so, we know that embryos that take longer to develop to that blast as a stage that I mentioned that those actually have a lower potential
0: for live birth. Oh, I see. Okay. Right? So the faster yeah. growing ones are better. Not too mm-hmm. fast. It's oh, okay. interesting, but
2: the other side is just is also not something that we think is as viable, so, right?
0: So finding a happy medium. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: difficult. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, you know. At every step. So, so the grading,
0: a piece of the grading
2: is uh-huh. exactly that. Uh-huh. Did the embryo reach the blast stage on day five, mm-hmm. which is – the best yeah if right. you want to talk about grading yeah day 6 or day 7 Got now it. day 7 we have to go back to the uterus right because mm-hmm. in order implantation occurs Around about that so time, so implantation
0: has happened on day seven.
2: Around about that time, okay. It's not that it's, it's, it's. We need to make sure that that day seven, either a day five, day six, or a day seven embryo is transferred into the uterus in order for implantation to occur. Uh huh. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So that's the maximum that we will grow them in culture if before fr- we'll do before, an embryo frozen. transfer. Or frozen, absolutely, or frozen. absolutely, yeah. absolutely
1: yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay.
2: But that's the time point that we – so we look at cryopreservation as – it's a stop, right? Mm -hmm. We're able to cryopreserve embryos, which is amazing Mm -hmm. because it means that families – patients can have families later on. Correct.
1: But is there any downside of freezing? It doesn't harm We have
2: not seen that, no. Okay. We have not seen that. Obviously, you know, one of the really important pieces of our jobs is to make sure that we're always following – up on our pregnancies and uh-huh. we have to we report to the cdc uh-huh. all of our outcomes it's part all mm-hmm. all ivf clinics do that and we're able to obviously look at all that data and and actually be able to analyze it yeah. to answer those kind of questions mm-hmm. right and we do not see negative association with the cryopreservation okay. and fam- patients are coming back years later and having having their second baby or their third baby or however that works. Wonderful. Also for our fertility preservation patients, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Whether it's because they choose not to have a family today or, of course, our oncology patients that need to obviously preserve their Mm -hmm. eggs and sperm Mm -hmm. and embryos. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Are you able to detect like anything besides the, is it 23? Pairs of chromosomes? Besides that, is there any way to detect maybe future disease or anything that could happen uh, while culturing these cells Mm -hmm. and giving them the option of like, look, this could happen. I just found this in, like, does that happen? Not yet. Not yet, okay. It will one day.
2: Yeah. You know, the future of human reproduction, um, you know, could potentially look like that. Mm. You know, we need to learn a lot more about our genome all mm. the genes in on those 23 pairs of chromosomes and how they are associated with disease. Right. Before we could ever do that. Got it. And we haven't we do know a lot. We've mm. learned a lot. We've it, it's amazing the advances in reproductive genetics over the last 10 years, but there's still so much more for us mm. to learn. Totally. So the the diseases that we are actually able to identify are what we call single gene diseases. Mm. And those we only identify that when because the family come to us, or the patient comes to us, knowing already that there, it's an inherited disease in their family. Oh, I see. So what we can do today is be able to identify and screen for known inherited diseases. Oh, for got example, it. Okay. cystic fibrosis, right? Right. Or Huntington's mm-hmm. disease, or BRCA for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. When we have a patient, or a, fa- or a couple, or a family that come to us, we're able to then actually identify and screen out the affected embryos for them. Oh, wow. Okay. But that's because we know what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. We're not able to just blindly look through the 23 pairs of chromosomes and be able to find new disease. We cannot do that. Okay, And like I said, human reproduction will eventually Eventually, look like that. I don't believe in my lifetime. (laughs) But, but, you know, it all depends on the advances in genetics. And, you know, it's it's amazing what we what we have discovered in in such a few years. And the discoveries to come are going to be incredible. But, you know, right now we we offer these families technology that is incredible because Mm -hmm. they can come to us and they can say, hey, you know what? My mom died of breast cancer in her 40s and I don't want my children to be inflicted this all my grandchildren all mm. my great-grandchildren and that's what we can do you know we're able to then sit down with this patient or couple and actually do family planning so that we select embryos that are free of the family mutation oh, wow. and therefore the child is born without it
0: mm-hmm. that's incredible it's really amazing and so we get yeah. to
2: literally eliminate that mutation from the family forever. I mean, wow,
1: that's, that's a it's. Big I know thing. it's it very is, powerful. It is sometimes amazing. you think about this, and you're like, for me being personally into it, I'm like, how much am I messing with, you know, the the way that it's supposed to be, you know, and even choosing girls having the power to choose girls mm, versus yeah. boys. I'm like, sometimes I don't like the idea of having a say in this, you know, just want everything to like happen naturally, but. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to that, that sounds really amazing. Uh, how many people Well, first, you don't have to do genetic testing when you make embryos, right? No, no it so is you add have that on option.
2: voluntary yeah. procedure that you can select during an IVF cycle. Obviously, right. you have to do IVF. You have to create embryos. In and order do most to,
1: people choose to do you it? Know,
2: you know, we really do target patients that are indicated for it. So mm-hmm. in other words, obviously, women who are what we call advanced maternal age. Mm-hmm. Which is just a nice way to say that, unfortunately, their ovaries have gotten old, <laughs> so they're obviously indicated because yeah. we know that's the highest risk factor, you know. And then, of course, there's patients who have had repeated miscarriages, right. especially if they have been tested from their DNC to show yeah. that there is a chromosome abnormality. Yeah. There are patients that, you know that have what we call structural rearrangements where bits of chromosomes have come off and gone onto the wrong chromosome. I mean mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things that we're able to test for and so there's indications. So okay. it's not something that's just
1: everybody do yeah.
2: yeah. It's very much indicated A patient. Population
1: And would you say most people end up choosing the strongest embryo to implant? Or how does that even really get decided? Because it feels confusing with the grading versus your opinion with what you want. And maybe the doctor has a different opinion. So how does that all go down? Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's the patient's choice. Of
2: course. The patient, they're they're your embryos. They're your body. Yeah. It's your choice. So, I mean, that conversation is very much... Okay, so we know that this group of embryos are chromosomally normal. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously the ones that we're going to, you know, talk about in regards to grading. And then so then we look at the grading um, Mm -hmm. and we say this is the strongest based on our live birth data over all of these years. Mm -hmm. And then we rank them, like Mm -hmm. you said, you Mm -hmm. know. And then really, and we talk about, you know, what live birth rates we can anticipate with each of the individual embryos. Mm -hmm. And also if you want to know embryo sex, and that's really the choice of the patient, that's completely your choice. If you want to know, you can. Mm -hmm. And all of that information then becomes your informed decision. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really never a recommendation in regards to, you know, the physician saying that you should have this of one. Of course not. It has it's to be. Very your own. It's very much coming awesome. from you. Mm-hmm. Now, are we going to, as the medical practitioner, is always going to advocate for hopefully
1: the best the, the- Best, quickest, fastest, po- exactly. healthiest, yeah, the highest
2: probability of <laughs> of, you, yeah. of you having a healthy baby, right, right, right. and that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. This embryo here has the highest probability of yeah. resulting in a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. So obviously, as a medical practitioner, we're gonna obviously recommend that one, yeah, right. That but really, sense. it's all about the informed decision from the patient mm-hmm. and what and what your reproductive journey is and your reproductive choices.
0: Mm-hmm. How many times can you do this, like? Let's say it doesn't work out the first time, like, and you might be familiar with this answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, how many times is it safe to do it? Is there a number or is there a limit? (laughs)
1: <laughs> to do like the egg retrieval and yeah, then get yeah. and make the yeah. embryos. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only done it once. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me, I they took out twenty one eggs and then we were they fertilized them and then we were able to make five embryos. But it's very dependent on how many they get each time. But I've known people that have done like ten to twenty cycles of it. Oh like, wow! You yeah, and it's intense. But like you know more. What's, is there a that, max even? Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's no, there's
2: no way for anyone to have a max because, I mean, there are circumstances where patients will go to different states or different clinics, and of course, there's no, you know, that, limit. That's, yeah, it's not possible to track all of that. So, yeah. you know, it breaks my heart that anyone goes through ten to twenty cycles. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. that just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's so important in patients choosing where they're going to have IVF of course, is to choose somewhere where you're not going to cycle 10 to 20 times in yeah. order to have mm-hmm. a baby, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, comes around to how important it is. And the CDC publish all the success rates, so it's yeah. very easy for consumers slash patients, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to be able to look at that and to choose a clinic that obviously will result in success mm-hmm. in many fewer cycles than 10 to 20.
1: Right, I know, I know, yeah. And can there be human error when it comes to this kind of stuff in genetic testing? Like, I know the lab is so important where you go, but is it about the science or is it about the doctors or what, what makes a lab... Like, your lab being so amazing, what makes it different than all the other ones? Not all the other ones, but yeah. you know <laughs> what I'm saying. So I always tell people that it's a team sport.
2: Yeah. Okay? <laughs> it's a completely team sport. Yeah. I can promise you, every step is just as important. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, I'm the geeky geneticist, so I'm going to tell you that, the, you know, obviously a genetic testing is critical because we need to be able to make sure when we identify a chromosome normal embryo that it truly is chromosome normal as right. to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. No one is perfect. Mm-hmm. No one is 100% mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. No one can no one, give yeah. anything in medical or I science. I know. I were all guarantee. searching
1: for that. You we know, wish. like I, it's always, not that I don't want in to. every offer step it. of the way, Timmy's always yeah. like, well, what? what are the odds? What odds do you give us? You know, it's like we're always searching for that, like, you know, the answer, but they're just, yeah, isn't because one. I'm yeah. sure
0: at some point, let's say like the people that you know that had to go through it so many times, they're, I'm sure they're questions like, wait, is it me or is it the doctor or is it, you know, the lab? Like, so many different so things. many different variables. Yeah.
1: I mean, even with our last two miscarriages, like our surrogate, there was like a bleed uh, involved. And so you don't, and those can be totally fine and they cannot be fine. Right. So you don't know,
0: was it that or was it? So it's, yeah, there's so much unknown. What's like the, the top things that people should look for in a lab? Because yeah. obviously there are some choices out there. Sure. So what would you say like the the top, I don't know, let's say well, three I, things? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. success rates,
2: which I was mm-hmm. saying, like they're mm-hmm. obviously available mm-hmm. and transparent. Mm-hmm. They're so important. I think your connection to your physician yeah. is super important. Mm-hmm. You know, that relationship of trust needs to be there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for whatever reason, if it's not, that's going to be a detriment to your care. Mm-hmm. So that is really important. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can ask those extra things. Like you t- you asked me the question of, you know, why do I think the labs at CCRM are you know, state-of-the-art. Yes. And they are state-of-the-art because we add all of those extra quality measures on top of everything to make sure that we are creating the best quality embryos Mm -hmm. and we are giving the best quality genetic testing. And it's those layers of quality that we have that we – Ensure are checked off all the time Mm -hmm. that really deliver the results that we see and the success that we see for our patients. Mm -hmm. So, and you can ask those questions, you know, to the physician that, you know, or to the clinic or the lab where you're obviously having that first new patient consult. You can ask all those questions. And if you feel like you've, been given transparent honest answers and you have a great rapport with that physician then you got a home right right, yeah.
1: right. you got a home it is so important yeah. because you're talking about something so personal Absolutely. it's not Absolutely. just like it's not just science here no. like, yeah
2: and how long the journey is mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. it's not like you're in and out in a week bye bye mm-hmm. don't we all wish right and the way that the <laughs>
1: doctor deals with things too and their bedside manner and how they talk to you and It's that was very important to me, like, you know, the sensitivity and Mm -hmm. the patience and the willingness to answer questions, like all those things we should be made to feel like more than just numbers. And it seems to me like all the amazing doctors that I've been able to talk to from CCRM have been just like so awesome. And yeah. that's one of the things that
2: I am so privileged to work there. And I do. I feel privileged yeah. every day when I go to work because I work with amazing people. Yeah. And I said to you, it is a team sport. And, but those physicians are just amazing. Yeah. Their education, their bedside empathy. manner, their empathy, yeah. everything. I mean, yeah. you're changing
0: um, lives here. Yeah. like Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is something that can make or break someone's yes. life. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: And I want to tell you, because you don't see behind the doors, but every single embryologist and every single scientist that works in genetic testing lab feels the same. Mm-hmm. We all feel the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But, you know, we are really so dedicated and mm-hmm. focused and really for us – we love it when we get the letters from patients that send in with their baby photos. Yeah, you oh need my to have God. the we wall do. Do. We do, We do, we the have The little
1: embryo with the... Yeah we, yeah, we do.
2: We have, well, not on wall with the embryo with the baby, but we no, definitely have like a wall of A picture of a wall the of our with a picture of
1: the baby <laughs> oh, next to it yeah. that would can be, be funny. You know, that is, that's a great baby <laughs> announcement, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But we have like a wall and, yeah, and you know. Yeah, that's cute. So. And one quick question that's maybe not so fun and maybe you don't even know the answer, but do you how much it costs to do the genetic testing? So, I mean, every genetics lab, now mm-hmm. we're talking genetics lab, mm-hmm. will
2: have, obviously, their own costs. Okay. You know, I, but, you know, I can tell you that there have been publications that have shown that the the cost, and it is a cost, we, we're all aware of that, right? but the cost definitely outweighs, you know, the benefit obviously outweighs the cost. Sorry. Right. right. <laughs> That's the better way to put it. Because if you think of failures, mm-hmm. you think of miscarriages, mm-hmm. all of those will are going to occur if it's a chromosomally abnormal embryo. Right. Yeah. And so when you then weigh up all the costs of, you know, multiple cycles from multiple failures and obviously all the emotional and psychological mm-hmm. trauma, mm-hmm. the testing definitely is so beneficial. So beneficial. Yeah. So beneficial. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the fastest path to the healthiest baby. It makes so
1: much sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it so much and for allowing me the space to be vulnerable and to, yeah, really get into it because. Even me going through this, like there's so much still to learn. And I do think that information is empowering. and We need to know when it comes to this. So thank you both for being
0: here. Thank you. Oh, thank thank you, you for
2: having me. Thank you for having me too. And <laughs> thank you to you both.